0: Today, I want us to take a few moments to look at the story of the healing of the crippled man that is found in John chapter 5. This is the third sign that Jesus performed uh, according to John and the miracles and signs that he recorded for us in his gospel. His purpose is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, so that we might have life in him. Now, I want to ask a question this morning of you uh, before we get into the text. Uh, What would you like to change in your life? What would you like to change in your life? I've been reflecting on that in my own life. Some behavior, attitude, habit, addiction, Some of you might be able to answer that question immediately. You know because you've been trying to change for years. You've been looking for answers for a long time. Reading books, surfing the net, even visiting counselors. But others of you might say, I don't know how to answer that question. I know that I need to change something, but offhand I don't know what to say. The truth of the matter is, myself included, most of us are experts at justifying our behavior. We build up logical and sometimes theological reasons to really to excuse bad behavior. And if someone is hurt by my words or actions, I have a tendency to say in my mind, well, obviously they have a problem. Others of us make excuses for our bad behavior. We sweep it under the carpet, we blame it on stress, we blame it on our parents, our upbringing, and sometimes we blame it on our spouse or the adverse circumstances of our lives. On the other hand, if I asked you to turn to the person sitting next to you, a close friend or your spouse or your mother or your daughter, And say to them, please tell me where I need to change, and I promise I won't be defensive or make you pay for telling me the truth. I'm sure they will not be at a loss for words. We might be able to deceive ourselves, but we can't fool those who are closest to us. The bottom line is this, it takes real courage to honestly look at our lives. I was talking to a husband uh, uh, who was having marriage problems a a few months ago and he and his wife decided to go to see a counselor and he was looking forward to that because he was looking forward to getting that counselor on his side so that actually they could gang up on his wife so she would change. He said to me, the hardest thing for this counselor was to get me to look at my own life. But once he did, and I was able to look at the mirror of my own life, it was a painful experience. So as we unpack this story, I would encourage you to put yourself in the story. Just think of this for a moment, put yourself in the story. What do you see? Who do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? How do you feel? And I want you to imagine Jesus walking up to you and looking down at you and speaking to you. What is he saying to you? What do you hear? What changes is he asking you to make in your life? This story can be broken into three parts. First of all, Jesus seeks out the man. Secondly, Jesus intervenes in this man's life. And thirdly, Jesus calls him to live a transformed life. First of all, Jesus seeks out this man. Verse 1 says, after this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we're not told what this festival is, nor were we told when this incident happened in the life of Jesus. We are simply told that this incident happened at the Sheep Gate near the pool of Bethesda. The Sheep Gate is uh, mentioned three times in the book of Nehemiah which was located in the northern wall of the city. The gate led to the sheep market. And in between was, the, was this pool. And archeologists tell us that there were two pools, actually, surrounded by four covered colonnades. And the shelter of these colonnades was a crowd of infirmed and crippled and deformed people waiting to be healed. And when I first read this story and account, I visualized in my mind a kind of spa where a great number of people, disabled people, had gathered. But that's not a correct image. These are dirty, rust-colored pools of water, surrounded by desperate people. It's a little like East Vancouver, where people are sprawled on the sidewalk or leaning against the walls of buildings. It was a place to be avoided, a dirty place full of foul smells. And according to the folklore of the time, these pools had healing power. And whenever the water was stirred by an angel, the first one into the pool would be healed. This reference to the periodic disturbance in the water suggests that these pools were probably fed by underground springs. So why is Jesus here? What's he doing here? Why does he show up in this unlikely place? Jesus came looking for broken world people. He is looking for people. He takes the initiative. He is on the hunt for you and me. While we were yet sinners, we are told he died for us. He first loved us. It's not us seeking God, it's God It's not us seeking God, it's God seeking us. Secondly, Jesus intervenes in this man's life. Jesus asks him a simple question. Do you want to be healed in verse 6? Interesting question, really. This man has been coming to this pool for 38 years. He is not a young man. Every day for decades, this man has had his relatives and friends carry him to this pool and to leave him there for the day. And so Jesus singles him out. Do you really want to be healed, he says. And this is a crucial question. If we're happy with our lives, there is nothing God really can do to help us. It's interesting to listen to the man's response. He's been an invalid for a very long time. Long enough to give up any hope of ever getting well. He's coming to terms with this disability. He's learned to live with his disappointment. It's not that bad, he says to himself. There's nothing I can do about it. If you can't accept me the way I am, that's tough. I'm coping. These people gather around here are my friends, my family, my community. They support me. Daily we gather and share our stories. And so the question is, does he really want to be healed? There's a lot of attention associated with being sick. He doesn't have to go to work. He doesn't have to provide for his own needs. Sir, the crippled man says, when the water is disturbed, I have no one to put me into the pool while I'm coming myself. Someone gets down ahead of me. True, but I want you to notice he doesn't answer Jesus' question. He simply makes an excuse as to why he is not healed. Thirdly, Jesus calls this man to a re- uh, transformed life. He first says in verse 8, take up your bed and walk. Jesus forces him to make a decision. To make a decision that's hard for him to make. He's forcing him to take ownership for his own life and to exercise his faith. Take up your mat and walk, said Jesus. What will he do? This is his moment of truth. Will he obey Jesus and stand up and walk, or will he choose to remain curled up on his mat? Deep in his heart, he knows that this man has the authority to set him free. But it's up to him. It's his moment. It's now or never. And there will be times in all of our lives when we will be confronted with the need to let go and allow Jesus to lead us into a new level of life and freedom and transformation. But it will always be up to us. It wasn't an easy decision for him to make. For 38 years, he has been dependent upon others. He will now have to take responsibility for his own life. No more dependency upon others. No more excuses as to why he can't take care of himself. No more blaming others. Get up, said Jesus. Pick up your mat and walk. What will he do? The decision is his. If he's content to stay sick, or will he make a decision to get well? Notice his response. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. It's interesting to know that not everyone was supportive of his decision. The religious establishment was really ticked off. It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you from carrying your mat on the Sabbath, they said. And here's the deal. When a person decides to get well, to change, it affects everyone around them. It forces everyone to readjust their thinking and behavior. And not everyone will like it. It forces them to face their own dysfunctional behavior. To let go of their enabling tendencies. Some of the strongest resistance to change will come from the religious establishment, from your friends, and from your own family. As a crippled man bends over to pick up his mat, Jesus fades into the background. Jesus is never a showman. He does this work of transformation in a quiet fashion. He never posts selfies of himself in action. And the next time Jesus meets this man, it's in the temple courts. And according to Jewish tradition, a cured person is to go to the temple to show himself to the priest and to offer thanks to God. And it is there that Jesus meets him. Notice what he says. See you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Interesting comment. Obviously, there was something in this man's past behavior which had contributed to his paralysis. So Jesus is saying to him, you're a new man now, so don't go back to your old way of life to your old habits, to your old friends, to your old dysfunctional enabling behavior. It's time to establish new priorities, new disciplines, new behavior, no more excuses, new friends. In conclusion, let me tell you the story of a friend of mine. I'm going to call her Brenda. That's not her real name, but years ago, she gave me permission to tell her story. Brenda came from a very dysfunctional British family, proper family. She was over-disciplined by her father. He became very heavy-handed in his discipline, and he hurt her emotionally very deeply. As a teen, she felt totally unworthy. I first met Brenda after she married. She be- began to attend the church I was pastoring with her husband and young son and parents. It wasn't long before we realized that Brenda had some serious emotional problems. As a young girl and teen, she had been abused, as I said, by her domineering father, and she was filled with incredible anger, in fact, uncontrollable bursts of rage. She was overweight. She purposely dressed in baggy clothes that covered her entire body. Her hair was long and unkempt, and she wore heavy steel-toed construction boots. On one occasion, she kicked a hole in my wall in my office with her boots. And on another occasion, she went after Marlene with a pair of scissors, threatening to stab her. But the women of the church embraced Brenda, they included her in their events, they constantly prayed for her that she might be healed. And one weekend in Edmonton, they uh, ended up in a Signs and Wonders woman's Conference. And during the conference, a group of women gathered around her, laid hands on her, and prayed that God would heal her and set her free. And he did. The next day, I got a phone call from Brenda's therapist. And she said to me, there's no question in my mind Brenda has been transformed. It would have taken me years of therapy to uh, really uh, produce these kind of results. But be careful, she said. Don't put Brenda on the church's platform to give her testimony. Brenda is still very fragile, and she doesn't need the pressure of trying to live up to the church's expectations or to be a test case to whether God heals or doesn't heal. Let me put it this way. Brenda is like a bird in a cage. The door to the cage is now open, but Brenda still needs to learn to fly. The same principle is really at work in this story before us this morning. This crippled man has been healed but he still needs to learn to fly. He still needs to learn to walk and run and work and play and take responsibility for his own life. The hard work is still ahead. Hence Jesus' words, don't go back to your old life. Live like a new man. Leave the old crowd behind, the old habits. Find new friends, establish new patterns and disciplines, find a job, take care of yourself. Jesus is powerful and gracious. He is able to transform the lives of broken world people. He's able to change your life and mine. But he won't force it on any of us. Furthermore, God refuses to do all the work the work of transformation also depends on our willingness to make changes in our relationships and our lifestyle. Once we have been touched by God's transforming power, there's still a lot of work to do. The wonderful news about Brenda was that she was willing to do that hard work. She forgave her father. She stopped making excuses for her brokenness. She took responsibility for her own actions. She stopped playing the martyr. She learned how to become a responsible wife and mother for the first time. And then she enrolled in university and earned a PhD in counseling. She was set free. This miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus' power to transform our lives. But the miracle is always only the beginning. Through the power of the Spirit, we must take responsibility to build on the foundation which Jesus has laid. Otherwise, the change in our lives will only be superficial and temporary. We'll be back to the old habits in no time at all. Complaining that the Christianity that we've been following really doesn't work that well. I asked at the beginning of the message this morning for you to imagine and to think what you would do if Jesus came to, say, to you and stood before you and asked you, what do you want me to do for you? What change do you want to make in your life? I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment. And then I'd like you to hold out your hands and I want you to hold them in fists, just like this. And I want you to imagine Jesus walking up to you right now. And what is he saying to you? Close your fists, cling to them. What are you clinging to which you need to let go of? Fear, unforgiveness, a need to control the need to be right, a theology of rules and regulations which makes you feel good about yourself, anger towards God. And Jesus asks you, do you want to be healed? He says to you, open your hands and let go of that thing you have been clinging to. Let it go. Turn over your hands and drop it at the feet of Jesus. I know what those things are in my own life. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move amongst us. I pray that you would touch us with the power of your spirit and set us free in a new way. And once you've done that, help us, Lord, to develop new habits, new way of doing things new disciplines so that the transformation that you have begun in us will really be permanent and long lasting. And Father we pray for that because our behavior sometimes has wounded and hurt other people and we don't want to do that anymore.